This is the Milo Sweet Podcast, where you learn to be resourceful, find quick and clever ways to overcome life's challenges, and guess what? Achieve more with less. Use what you have to get where you're trying to go. Learn to do difficult. And for excuses, get rid of them. I mean, all of them. They're dead to me. Let's go. Did you know that you could impact my podcast by liking, subscribe, reviewing, and sharing, uh, and also donating? You would totally make my day. Come on. Make my dreams come true. Okay, I hope you guys are having a good day today. Um, I am having a good day, but I'm really upset because there is a fund here. For, it's part of uh, Oregon Cares, and it's $62 million allocated towards black, black-owned businesses and black families, right? Okay, and so there was a lawsuit. I covered this before or some kind of, um, I mean, legal paperwork you know, that revolve involves going to court, basically, that said that the fund was unconstitutional. A judge said, you know, basically threw it out. But but I saw a new article. I didn't get to read all of it. So I don't have all the facts yet. And it was on Oregon Live that basically said that, what did it basically say? Oh, that there might be a pause to the fund because Um, it might be really hard to prove. I think, I'm not sure if the case is going to the Supreme Court or if it's handing, like being, like going to another legal round. I don't know the right terminology, um, where they feel like the, the, it will be proven that the fund is unconstitutional because, um, there is not, it's not clear that blacks have dealt with discrimination in Oregon. What? What? I have not lived here all my life, and I can tell you for a fact that, um, yeah, they have. I have. Like, personally, I have. Uh, No, not like the the times, you know, there's times where you experience racism, and you're like, I don't know, it could have, that could have been it. There's times where you know that you know that you know it happened. You know that you know that you know. I mean, I can write them all down, and I can send them to you. I actually feel like... This is so frustrating to me because on one side you hear, you know, I I could get with the, you know, message and I understand that blacks have been mistreated, but I don't understand the looting and the protesting and I don't understand, you know, the anger and the violence. And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying how I feel about it. I'm saying what I hear someone say or a group of people say. And then I also hear in the same tone. That's someone saying, well, I don't think it's fair that black businesses that are not protesting, that are not looting, that are trying to help create the economy, that are trying to help make a difference, that maybe using that money that their black families are getting to spend at local businesses, to have their voices known, to patronize and keep the economy in Oregon going, like they are told that the fund is unconstitutional. Okay. 
So that set a flame in me because I feel like if my kids are here, I have to answer to them for everything that I do that I know to do, that I can do to create a better future for them. And everyone feels called to do things their way. I'm called, I do things through learning, through sharing, through researching. I, I, I mean, to be honest, saying that I'm a little upset is an understatement because I just feel angry about that. Like you actually, this fund, like first off for a person to receive a money in their business, it allows them to change the trajectory of their life trajectory of their life because entrepreneurship and actually um having things that you know can help you get by not that you live in poverty so it's not like welfare where you can't it's it's discouraged to make over a certain amount to continue to obtain where welfare it's discouraged um to you know get promoted or to increase your income or to even be a family at times. It seems like for people that I've known or seen, you know, to get welfare, I would have to double check, you know, the numbers on this, but just going strictly from experiences, it has been more profitable for them to, to be single and have welfare than to be a couple or to be married. Um, so in some ways, I feel like that system of constantly depending on welfare is very different than someone saying, I'm giving you a grant to help your business out. And how can the same people, and I'm not saying those are the people that are the plaintiffs in this case, but how could they say that they don't like this or that and then not support something like this with, and if you're discouraged by it, say, you know, I need help as well. Because there's so many other grants that were not for blacks in Oregon. There was so much other funding that was not for black, you know, or for African-Americans. So what about those? Why are you not suing those funds? Or did you actually get funds from them and you want more? So Americans across the country have demonstrated for over a week. This was, um, it's called A Racist History Shows Why Oregon is Still So White. Mm, tell me about it. Okay. So this was published June 9th, 2020 at 6 a.m. And this is OBP. So, um, so uh, this is just a little bit. It's not going to go into the whole thing. It's really a podcast that you can listen to. I'll send the link or put the link below. But it's, it says Americans across the country have demonstrated for over a week now Um, against systemic racism and police brutality. For many, the protests have forced uncomfortable conversations about white privilege and generations of prejudice across black people and other people of color in the United States. And then um, below that, it has a picture of a KKK parade. Wow, that doesn't sound racist at all. Um, I'm sure it's just a nice Christian group. A group of KKK members um, parades down the street of Grants Pass, Oregon in the 1920s. The KKK had a strong presence across the state in the early 1900s, with Oregon Klan leaders claiming 35,000 active, member, active members in 1923. These conversations are happening in Oregon, too, a state that, no matter which way you cut it, has deep roots in racism. Here's a refresher. Oregon began as a whites-only state. That sounds really interesting that it was like, I mean, so like, hmm. Okay, through a series of black exclusionary laws that were designed to discourage black Americans from living here in the first place. 
These laws point to the fact that Oregon was founded as a racist white utopia. The idea was that white folks would come here and build the perfect white society, excluding black people. Okay. In 1844, when Oregon was still a territory, it passed its first black exclusionary law. It banned slavery, but it also prohibited black people from living in the territory for more than three years. So basically, basically what I'm hearing is if it's for white people, it's cool. But if it's for black people, you know, and we don't have control over it. I don't like all these black people creating better futures for themselves and deciding that they're in control and they can't be control. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that they need more education. I don't like the way they act. Da, 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 da. And then for the ones that are well-to-do and that are doing something for their family, changing their family tree, supporting the things that you that line up, it's not enough. You take them to court and you sue them because you can't have any. If a black person broke this law, the consequences was 39 lashes every six months until they left. So basically... Um, even though black people or slavery was banned, that black people weren't allowed to live in, um, in Oregon. So if they broke that law, um, they got 39 lashes every six months. Um, the territory passed another black exclusion law five years later in 1849. This one barred black people who were not already in the area from entering or residing in Oregon territory. The final exclusion measure made its way into the Oregon Constitution as a clause when the territory became a state 10 years later in 1859. This clause went further than the territory's second law by prohibiting black people from owning property and making contracts. Well, that's very interesting. That is very interesting. So could we have some residue of that? It speaks very clearly to the ways that this place was founded to center whiteness, not only at the exclusion of folks of color, but at the brutalization of folks of color. These laws were rarely enforced, but they did the job they were created to do, establish Oregon as a majority white state. And it's why Portland, the state's most populous city, is still known as the whitest big city in the United States. According to 2019 estimates from the United States Census Bureau, Oregon's population was nearly 87% white. The figure for the census category of white alone, not Hispanic or Latino, was 75%. The state's population, black population, was just over 2%. That's in 2019. That's crazy. Although the laws were repealed almost a century ago, the racist language in Oregon's constitution wasn't removed by voters until 2002. So I think it's interesting that you would quote the Oregon constitution. I'm not saying that it still is racist. I would have to double check that. But it's like the constitution was racist till 2002. Um, just 18 years ago, 30% of voters elected to keep the racist clause in the constitution. This is an ideology that is not only alive, it's serving as the foundation for the institutions of Oregon. Oregon is a useful case for the rest of the nation because the only thing unique about Oregon is it was bold enough to write it down. The same policies, practices, and ideologies that shaped Oregon shaped the nation as a whole. But with things like Portland Public Schools ending its contract with the Portland Police Bureau, um, 
I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Okay. So you can listen to their full conversation. And then we go to the Atlantic. It says the racist history of Portland, the whitest city in America, is known as a modern day hub of progressivism, but its past is one of exclusion. Victor Pierce has walked on the assembly line of Damler Trucks, North America plant here for years. White co-workers have challenged him to fight mounted new hangman's nooses around the factory referred to him as boy on a daily basis, sabotage his workstation by hiding his tools, carve swastikas in the bathroom and bring the word nigger on walls in the factory according to the allegations filed in the complaint to the Multnomah County Circuit Court in 2015. Pierce is one of the six African-Americans working in the Portland plant, whom the lawyer Mark Morrow is representing in a series of lawsuits. The cases have been combined and a trial is scheduled for January 2017. So this article is pretty old. It was published in 2016. Um, They've complained about being treated poorly because of their race. It's a sad story. It's pretty ugly on the floor. I think the, the other part about racism is that it prevailed through silence. So even if you challenge and saying like, well, there's no history, although we do have proof that there was history, it was, you were silenced. This is the first time I feel like, oh, I could just say whatever's on my mind about it. This is the first time. Before you would say whatever's on your mind, but you only dealt with things you had to deal with because you needed, that was the only way for you to progress and to move forward. The allegations may seem odd with the reputation of this city is known for its um, progressivism. So that's the other part is we hide under labels. There's a lot of labels in Portland that make people feel like they're, you know, of course, like I've heard people say to me, oh, tell me, you know, about what's going on with racism and social unrest. Um, you know, although I'm not racist, it's like, well, how do you know that? Like, like, that's a weird way to start. It's almost like, you know, I'm Christian, someone saying, hey, tell me about salvation or, you know, I want to be saved, but um, I'm not a sinner. It's like, well, you probably should learn about what the Bible says first before you make that claim Um, or just just decide you don't want to know. But many African-Americans in Portland say they're not surprised when they hear about racial incidents in the city and state. That's because racism has been entrenched in Oregon, maybe more more than any state in the North for nearly two centuries. When the state entered the Union in 1859, for example, Oregon explicitly forbade black people from living in its borders, the only state to do so. Look, y'all could be free, but y'all cannot come here. Okay? Yeah, uh, that's cool and all. Hashtag Abe Lincoln. Just kidding. Actually, I'm not. I don't know. In most recent times, the city's reported repeatedly untook urban renewal projects such as the construction of Legacy Emanuel that um, just basically eliminated a black community. Racism persists today. In 2011, audit found that landlords and leasing agents here discriminated against black and Latino renters 64% of the time, citing them higher rents or deposits and adding an additional fee. In area schools, African-American students are suspended and expelled at a rate four to five times higher than that of their white peers. All in all, historians and residents say Oregon has been particularly welcoming to minorities. Okay, in what way? Perhaps that's why there have only there have never been very many. Um, <laughs> basically, they're saying perhaps there's never been very many. 
Portland is the widest city, big city in America with a population of 72 point. I think Portland, I'm just going to breeze through this 72% basically. I think Portland has in many ways perfected neoliberal racism. That's a new term. Okay, so it's the same girl. She was in this other article. Her name is Walita um, Marisha. I don't know how to say it. I'm so sorry for butchering your name. But basically, she's an African-American educator and an expert on black history in Oregon. Yes, the city is politically progressive, she said, but its government has facilitated the dominance of whites in business, housing, and culture. I can see that. And white supremacist sediment is not uncommon in the state. Um, uh, Our Marisha travels around Oregon teaching about black history. And she says neo-Nazis and others spewing sexually explicit comments or death threats frequently protest her events. Wow. Violence is not the only obstacle faced by black people in Oregon. In 2014, report by Portland State University and the Coalition of Communities of Color, a Portland nonprofit shows black families lag far behind white fam- whites in the Portland region in employment, health outcomes, and high school graduation rates. They also lag behind black families nationally. While annual incomes for whites nationally and in Multnomah County were where Portland is located, where it's 70000 in 2009, Blacks in Multnomah County made just 34000 compared to 41000 for Nash for Blacks nationally. Almost two-thirds of Black single mothers in Multnomah County with kids under five lived in poverty in 2010, compared to the half of Black single mothers with kids under five nationally. And just 32% of African Americans in Monomah County owned homes in 2010 compared to the 60% of whites in the county and 45%, wow, of blacks nationally. Oregon has been slow to dismantle overtly racist policies. As a result, African Americans in Monomah County continue to live with the effects of racialized policies, practices. Sorry, I'm just getting like disturbed. And decision making. Whether this history can be overcome is another matter. Because Oregon and specifically Portland, its biggest city, are not very diverse, many white people may not even begin to think about it, let alone understand the inequalities. A blog called Poop White People Say to Black and Brown Folks in PDX, I've read this quite a bit, details how racist Portland residents can be to people of color. Most of the people who live here in Portland have never had to directly physically and emotionally interact with POC in their life cycle. I I really don't like the term POC people of color. I I just I don't know. I feel like it blankets and puts everybody in a bucket and I don't know. I'm not a fan of that, but um as the city becomes more popular and real estate prices rise, it is Portland's tiny African-American population that is being displaced to the far-off fringes of the city, leading to even less diversity in the city center. There are around 38,000 African-Americans in the city in Portland, according to Lisa K. Bates of Portland State University. In recent years, 10,000 of those 38,000 have had to move from the city to its fringes because of rising prices. The gentrification of the historically black neighborhood in central Portland, Albina, has led to conflicts between white Portlanders and longtime Black residents over things like whitening bicycle lanes and the construction of a new Trader Joe's, no shades of Trader Joe's, I love y'all though. And the spate of alleged incidents at Daimler trucks is evidence of tensions that are far less subtle. Portland's tactic when it comes to race up until now has been to ignore it. That's, I guess that's the point that I'm making. I'm going to tell you, I've experienced a lot of things here and I've actually had like a really like, 
I thought there was, you know, someone that I could talk to about it. And I was explaining, they, they saw what happened and they thought that I did something wrong. And I said, okay, well, what did I do wrong? Well, maybe that person thought you were someone else. It's like, uh, you know, or, you know, I would, I don't think anyone would ever be racist. Are you kidding me? From its very beginning, Oregon was an inhospitable place for blacks. Okay. In 1844, the provisional government of the territory passed a law banning slavery and at the same time required, it's like virtue signaling. Like, we disagree with slavery, but we don't want y'all Negroes here, okay? Any black person remaining would be flogged. It's just ridiculous. In 1857, Oregon adopted a state constitution that banned black people from coming to the state, residing in the state, or holding property in the state. And you're telling me that there's no reason to have the $62 million fund. During this time, fine, let's not have the fund. Take it away. Give me my reparations. Give my kids their reparations. Give my grandmother, my parents, give reparations. Like, I'm not talking about the cheap ones. I'm talking about, like, in history, when people were out of slavery or they were mistreated you have the Japanese you have other people if you study history they were given things when they were they left slavery or some form of slavery that they might have titled servanthood okay and that has not been given the early history proves to um Marisha, it's I Marisha or Imarisha, that the founding idea of the state was a racist right, white utopia. The idea was to come to Oregon Territory and build the perfect white society you dreamed of. With the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, Oregon laws preventing blacks from living in the state and owning property were superseded by national law. But Oregon itself didn't ratify the 14th Amendment and the Equal protection clause until 1973 or more exactly the state ratified the amendment in 1866 rescinded its ratification in 1868 and then finally ratified it for good in 1973 it didn't ratify the 15th amendment which gave black people the right to vote until 1959 making it one of the only six states that refused to ratify that amendment when it passed the history resulted in a very white state What those exclusion laws did was broadcast very broadly and loudly was that Oregon wasn't a place where blacks would be welcome or comfortable. The rise of the KKK made Oregon even more inhospitable for black people. The state had the highest per capita Klan membership in the country. That's crazy. It wasn't until World War II that a sizable black population moved to Oregon, lured by jobs jobs in the shipyard. The black population grew from 2,000 to 20,000. Okay, I'm just looking up to see. um, For black residents, the only choice if they wanted to stay in Portland was the neighborhood called Albina. So again, that is choosing, like, it wasn't they could sprinkle it out. It was the neighborhood called Albina emerged as a popular place to live for black porters who worked in the nearby Union Station. It was the only place black people were allowed to buy homes after 1919. The Royalty Board of Portland had approved a code of ethics forbidding realtors and bankers from selling or giving loans to minorities for properties located in white neighborhoods. Like, I mean, do you need more proof? 
As black people moved into albino, whites moved out. By the end of the 1950s, there was 23,000 fewer white residents and 7,000 more black residents than there had been at the beginning of the decade. The neighborhood of Albina began to be the center of black life in Portland, but for outsiders, it was something else, a blighted slum in need of repair. Today, North Williams Avenue, which cuts through the heart of what was once Albina, is emblematic of the new Portland. Fancy condos with balconies line the street next to juice stores and hipster bars with shuffleboard courts ed washington remembers when this was a majority black neighborhood more than a half a century ago when his parents moved their families to portland during the war in order to get jobs in the shipyard he says every house on the his street save one was owned by black families all these people on the streets they used to be black he said gesturing at a couple with sleeve tattoos white people pushing baby strollers up the street. Since the post-war population boom, Albina has been the target of a decades of renewal and redevelopment plans like many black neighborhoods across America. In 1956, voters approved the construction of an arena in that area which destroyed 476 homes, half of them inhabited by black people according to Bleeding Albina, a history of community dis investment 1940 to 2000 a paper by the portland state scholar karen j gibson this forced many people to move from what was considered lower albina to upper albina but upper albina was soon targeted for development too i mean when i hear this i can see these people i can imagine what they went through and no i don't want other people to hurt because of their race that's not what i want but I also don't want there to be a denial when people are actually giving you opportunities to change the trajectory of your life is to deny that all these things happen and to stand here and say that that is allowed is not okay. I mean, it goes on and on. I'm going to put both of these articles down so you can see them, but I am livid that they would even think that this hasn't been a problem and that people, that they would even consider this unconstitutional when you see all the unconstitutional things that they've said and have had in Portland. And I know that the way they've dealt with it with silence, because this is the first time I've been here 10 years and this is the first time I've ever felt like hey, I can speak up about this. And I think it also makes you feel like, is it really going to get better? It's negative to think, but is it going to be better? Talking constructively about race can be hard, especially in a place like Portland, where residents have so little exposure to people who look differently than they do. Perhaps as a result, Portland and indeed Oregon have failed to come to terms with their ugly past. This isn't the sole reason for incidents like the alleged racial abuse at Daimler Trucks or for the threats um, Iramisha or Iramisha Marisha faces when she traverses the state but it may be part of it and yeah that's all it's just I don't know it's really sad for me I mean I definitely feel hopeful in general but in terms of how this is dealt with I think if the state actually pauses these funds And I think if the state decides not to ever have a fund like this again, they're basically saying what we did in the past was right and we're sticking by it. And I think that's a big problem. So I feel like if you are listening and you know someone who lives in Portland or you know someone who's faced discrimination or you know or you have a story, I I really would like to hear it and share it. 
because I think it's unacceptable, like completely unacceptable. Um, and you know, I've heard so many people, so many professionals say, I, I mean, I can understand if, you know, to, you know, to voice and say your concerns. And I think that what I feel like is sure. Then if you can understand that and you see the people are doing things the right way, according to you, like according to your standard, then you should speak up, speak up for those people. Make sure you say things because I'm sure that fund has changed people's lives and I don't think it's okay for it to be taken away in the form and, and by denial. I could see if like, you know, hey, maybe, you know, people, nobody spent it on their business, right? Okay, then that's, that's you know, not using the fund correctly. But it's on the terms that Oregon hasn't been discriminatory towards blacks. Like, are we idiots? Are we? Okay. That is all. I would love to know what you think. If you have any thoughts on this, you can um, send me a message at anchor.fm slash the Milo Sweet Podcast. And if you feel like this is garbage, I think you should write Kate Brown or the Oregon Cares Fund and let them know, hey, we are not standing for this. Put a post somewhere. I think this is ridiculous. I think this is this is a strategy that can change people's lives. I see it. I've seen people start businesses. I've seen people buy property and I've seen what it's done to their family in a positive light, right? Having a place to call your own, having something that you can control, that you can wake up tomorrow and know that you invest in it, that it can, it can provide something for you three months from now, next year. So to take that away from someone on the guise of that, yeah, you were mistreated, but you can't prove you were mistreated. And I believe for us to help you, it's unconstitutional without even, sure, bring that up, but please bring up all the other unconstitutional things that have happened in Oregon. Yeah, do that. Do it too. Bring that up, you know. So that is all for me. Um, I don't think I'm done talking about this topic. Um, I, I would love to... I'm not really sure what I want to do with it yet. I think I'm just going to let it marinate, but I definitely thought I wanted to say something about it um, because I think it is a big deal. And this is a time where a lot of people, yeah, I know most of y'all ain't doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? Meaning you working from home, you may be stressed out, all of that, but you can send a tweet. You can message somebody. You got time. Today you have time. Okay. And I think make it a conversation. Talk about it, whether it's talking about it to someone else, just put it out there. Because it's not easy for people. First, it's not easy for people to get funds. That's number one. Let me make that know. It's not easy to ask for help. And then when you ask, I want you to think about all the times you've tried to ask for help in your life. And who actually came for you? Who actually was there? And then for someone to say, I believe enough in your dreams. I believe enough in your future and the legacy you want to leave for your family. And I'm not going to give you a handout where that's going to not empower you. This isn't what empowerment looks like. Investment in ideas, in your brain, in your your time, and what you, how you see yourself, how you see your family, your 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 future. And they're saying, no, since I can't control it, I want to take it away. If I can't have any, then you can't have any. And that's the vibe I've got in Portland. The vibe I get is as soon as people can be cool with you when you have less than them. But as soon as you have the same or more, they feel like you don't deserve it. Well, how did you get that? Especially if you're black. I mean, I happen to be black. So it's like they're cool when you have less than. But if you have more than it's a problem and you're undeserving. 
And so I find that this is an issue. Now, on another note, if you have brainstorming and you can come up with solutions to help people that feel like they've been hurt too, I would love to hear those as well because I think that is important. I don't think just because you're black you get help, but I think that for this fund, yeah, just because you're black you get help because just because you were black you got mistreated. So we're rectifying a wrong, um, a continuous continuous wrong. You weren't even allowed to buy property. And then when you bought property, it, you were pushed out of it. You couldn't afford to stay there. Oh, okay. And then the, the agencies that are supposed to advocate for you did not advocate for you. They actually worked together to make sure you couldn't get what you needed to get. That's not enough proof. Exactly. All right. I'm done. I, I just feel like this would be way too long. And also, I just will probably ramble. So that is all. If you got something out of this, please, please, please share it with someone. And I'm not saying it just to promote. I'm just saying it because, like, I just think this is a huge issue. Um, and if it doesn't get rectified the right way, I think I think there are going to be some big problems as well. All right. All right. That's another episode in the books. Hello? Hello? I said, I said it's over. Why are you still listening? Like, seriously, the episode is over. If you're still listening right now, you know what? You're probably a chronic procrastinator. Guess what? I'm still listening to Come on, for real, seriously. We gotta go do something productive. No, like, for real. No, for real, for real. Okay, you can keep listening.